welcome to What We Leave, a study of fourth faith legacies. In this five session Bible study, we're looking at the faith of Peter and asking ourselves, how can we let God build strong legacies of faith in our own lives as well? As with all of our studies, we'd love to walk alongside you and we want you to know if you need prayer or just have questions, we'd be honored to connect with you. Please feel free to contact us at women at rpcstaff.org. Now get comfy, grab a pen and paper, and get ready to join our teacher, Chris Murphy, as she walks us through the faith legacy of Peter. Father, um, we thank you so much that you have called each of us for a purpose, that you have a plan, that sometimes we don't understand um, the struggles and the failures and the hard times, God, but instead we can trust you. Um, we can trust you when we're sinking. We can trust you when we're denying. We can trust you um, in all the times that are difficult, the snapshots, the moments, the plot points, Father. Thank you so much um, that through you alone, through your grace alone, because of you alone, that we can be redeemed. And I, I pray that we all rest in that instead of resting in circumstances and resting in um, our own will, Lord, but instead we rest in you. And so today we, um, we ask for all of these words to be your words. I pray that whatever comes out um, and whatever we take in is what you want. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. The lights magically came on while I prayed. God is in the room, guys. Praise the Lord. Um, Hey, I'm so happy that you're here. Um, if you were with us last session, we talked a lot about Peter and the background of, of Peter. Precious, darling, hyperactive Peter, you know, the apostle. And, and this week you got to do homework that showed you a little bit of his character traits, right? Like you got to see a little glimpse into who he was. I'll tell you, you know, it's hard for me. If you're a big Peter person, I know I've got a few people that are like, Peter's my guy. Well, if you're a Peter person, um, it's hard. It's hard to take one week of study and cram all of the three years of Jesus's ministry and all of Peter's antics, if you will. It's hard to cram them all in in a week. And we hit a few of them, but today I'm going to take us um, to two, two instances that I feel like um, really kind of give us this, this glimpse into our Peter and what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was readying him for. Because next week we go to Acts. Next week we, we jump ahead to the new church once Jesus is in heaven with the Father and, and he's left Peter, the rock, and his homies to take over. Um, and so today we're going to look at these two instances, two snapshots. And, and just if you want to flip in your Bible, you can. I'm going to read them out loud, but we're going to be in like um, Matthew 14 for just a minute. We're going to be in John 21 and John 13. Those are the three places mainly we're going to be, but I'm going to read them. So, you know, if you want to just chill, you don't have to, you don't have to flip there. Well, Peter. So many different glimpses of Peter in the Bible. And so um, I, I know that this is the most important book that there ever was, the most living document that there ever was. But I feel like today it is a public service for me to also share with you something else that's not quite as great as the Bible, but also awesome. Are you ready? This could be, I could get, lightning could strike. Anybody ever heard of Time Hop, the app? Yeah, the young people in the room raise their hands. They're like, yeah, time hop. Okay, old people like me, listen up. My, my young people had to teach me about it too. I, I, I promise I'm going somewhere with it. This week, time hop, my app, it's been telling me things. It's been showing me snapshots of the past. 
And, and I think about, it, obviously it relates to Peter, duh, whatever. TimeHop is this app that like you, you connect it to your social media sites and to your photographs on your phone. And what it'll do is every day it'll bring up, like if it's the date, if it's October 1st, it'll be like, yay, when you open it up, this is what October 1st looked like a year ago. And this is what it looked like two years ago and three years ago. And however far back you have in your phone or in your social media, it takes you there. And so literally, guys, I mean, Jesus first, right? But then second, I go to time hop. Every day I'm sitting there with my coffee and I'm like, let's see what Chris was doing a year ago. And I'm like, oh, hey, wow. All right, let's, let's keep going. I tell you this only because this month, time hop has been reminding me of a snapshot in time. It's been reminding me of an October that was three years ago. And, and I kind of, you know, I don't forget um, that this happened, but you know, you know how photographs, right? Like bring things back. And so I've been flipping through my time hop with my coffee, you know, like, oh, ha, ha, that was funny. Mostly dog pictures, if you know me. I'm flipping, oh, she was cute then. Oh, she's still, oh, cute, cute. And then I get to three years ago, October 2017. And I see um, the day that my, my son was, was racing in a mountain bike race in Austin, Texas, and he wrecked. And he didn't just wreck, you know, kind of wreck. I mean, he like broke all the things, all the things on his face. He broke his arm real bad. He, there was just, it was really is a complicated, difficult thing. And, and I look at that picture and it like catches me by surprise, right? Because immediately when I look at the picture of my, my baby, you know, I see the brokenness and I have this one picture of him in the ER. It's, t- it's just, my husband took it as he arrived and it's my kid in this makeshift um, sling that the other mountain bikers put together for him to hold his arm in because it would have been a compound fracture if not. And so he's in this UT um, jersey made into a sling and he's sitting in the hospital bed and there's all these wires and they're cutting off his jersey and he's got blood coming off his face and it's just like for a mom, Right? It's just the hardest thing. And so when I see that picture pop up, I'm like, I immediately go back to that dark time, that suffering of that event, you know. It's, it's, it's easy for me to go back and go, oh, the surgeries, the scars, the stitches, the pick lines, the lost school semesters, the infections. I go right back, you know. But what I, I get mad at myself, and this is where it comes, this is where Peter enters the scene, okay? You know what makes me mad? It makes me mad because I forget the miracle that happened in the midst of the suffering. I forget the miracle. Because you see, while, while three years ago seems like a lifetime, in our house it seems like a minute because it was a two-year recovery. And, and the thing that, that's amazing is that when I look at the picture, the broken picture, you know, I forget the miracles of um, new relationships that came because of the accident, new friendships, new ministry opportunities, new priorities, new comebacks, new inspirations, new hope for a different future. I think it's just too easy for us to see the picture and focus on the struggle, right? It's too easy because it's just there. And instead, I feel like this week, I feel like every time I open my time hop, it's like, it's like me and the Lord are like, all right, what are we going to, how are we going to, how are we going to see the miracle in the midst of the pain that's about to pop up on my phone? And I feel like it's an exercise for us. You know, because the two snapshots I'm going to show you of Peter are two that, that are like cringy, you know. We're going to talk about um, when he was walking on water, but really he was sinking, right? He sank. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about when he denied the Lord three times. 
That was tough, wasn't it? But then we're also going to talk about how Jesus restored that. And so I think when I think about Peter, I think it's easy to attach to him all the struggles and the brokens and the failures like it is for us, right? Like we're so quick to remember the, the rotten stuff, but are we remembering the miracle in the midst of it? So that's how we're going to look at Peter today. We're going to look at it like a time hop. We're going to time hop back to this moment, but we're going to try to dig down and see where the miracle lies in the midst of it. How did Peter follow Jesus? How can we follow him? That's what we're going to look at. Well, I love the thought that, um, that sometimes that he is, God is readying us for his plan in ways that we did not choose. Amen. I'm a mom. I know everything, right? Amen. Any moms in here? You know everything. I know that a bike wreck was not the way it was supposed to go down. And yet, it's what had to go down, you know? Well, if you have your Bible and you want to flip with me, um, go to Matthew 14. We're going to take a look at Jesus walking on water, Peter jumping out of the boat and joining him. A little background. We're going to look at um, Matthew 14, verses 22 and following, okay? But some, before we start, just in case you've slept and you forgot and you don't have the Bible memorized. <laughs> Come on, guys, whatever. Um, what had just happened? Just like a minute ago, Jesus fed the 5,000. And remember, that's 5,000 men. So that means it's a whole heck of a lot more than 5,000 people. With what? What did he feed them with? Do you remember from Sunday school? Five loaves, two fishes, right? He's awesome like that. Well, so he just did that. Okay, but if you remember, if, if you didn't, you know, go back and read this for bonus, you know, extra credit or whatever. It's not extra credit, but go back and read it because the story is cool. And here's why I love it is because I feel like that miracle was for the disciples. I feel like the miracle, yeah, it fed some people and a lot of people followed and a lot of people listened, but I feel like he was purposefully teaching the disciples something in that moment. And so we're coming off of that beautiful miracle where he was teaching the disciples about what their job was going to be, which is feeding people with God's word. And now he's going to do this other cool thing, okay? So think about where they've come from. They've come from feeding the 5,000. Now they're going to do this whole walk on water thing. Matthew 14, verse 22 starts like this. First of all, note the first word. In the ESV, it's immediately. Now look for it. You're going to see it like three or four times, okay? Immediately, he, meaning Jesus, made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening came, he was there all alone. Verse 24. But the boat by this time was a really long way away and from the land beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. I mean, come on now. That's like, I mean, mic drop. That's cool, right? Like he did this. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Do you love this? Do you love so far that you have, you've got Jesus sending the disciples away. I have to wonder, like, did he do that sometimes because they, he was just like done? Anybody need, just time out. Everybody go out in a boat. And we know they were far away from the land. And some of the, the commentaries I read said it could have been as much as three miles away, which is out of sight. But the best part, right, is what Jesus did. What did he do? He went up and he went up on a hill to be alone and he prayed and he was with his father. 
I love, you know, side note, side lesson, Jesus never asks us to do anything that he didn't already do himself. And so the beauty of him modeling that for us is really, really something we need to take note of. Well, the fourth watch, that's probably between 3 to 6 a.m., okay? So they've probably been shaken around in this boat for hours and hours and hours at this point. Seasick, you know? Terrified is probably an understatement. I love that, uh, that we are given the detail of how they felt, you know? That we're given the detail that they were terrified. And you know what I think is even cooler than that? That Jesus let them stay in their terrified moment, didn't he? He let them sit in the fear, right? He didn't, you didn't see that. Okay, and they were terrified, and so then Jesus made everything okay. You guys, if, if you know me, you know one of my, my greatest parenting moments. I feel like Hall of Fame parenting moment that I had was the time that I hid from my kid at Target. Anybody remember that story? If you're new, I'm sorry. But it's like, I just see this and I'm like, Jesus was such a good, he was a good father before he was really the father. You know why? Because he knew that what was best for them was to be terrified. You see, he didn't stop the the circumstances, right? And he didn't like make everything okay. He let him be in it. And, And I, being the good mother that I am, was my daughter, by the way, this story, my daughter still, like I even texted her last night. I go, hey, I did the Target story. And she's like, I cannot believe you tell people this. She's gonna be in therapy because of this very story. But I feel like it's a victory. I feel like I did a good job. Here's what happened. She was like a little, little tyke. And it was during that time where she was like too big to be in the cart, you know? And so she, my rule was hold one hand on the cart and you can walk. If not, I'm gonna throw you in, you know, like, like a sack of potatoes. So she's so mature, four or five, whatever she was. So she's holding on the side of the cart. Well, what she would do is what you know, what we all do, right? Just wander off, disobey, just not even listening to what I said. So she'd wander off. So I had enough. I was like, you are going to have your hand on the cart. Well, I knew for sure we'd walk into Target that day and she wouldn't. And so I had this planned because I'm a great mom. So I, I had, she had her hand on the cart and the second she took her hand off the cart, guess what I did? The best thing ever. I hid, (laughs) I like hid behind the apples. Next time you're in Target, look for where the apples are. That is where Chris was crouching down, whatever, a million years ago. And so I hid, and you know why I hid? Because it took her a minute. She was kind of just wandering around doing kid things. And then she looked and I saw the moment, right? You know the moment. She was just terrified. And she was looking for me and I was like, everything in me screamed, go grab her and tell her everything's okay. But I I gave it a 10 count. I was like, I'm just gonna let her be in the fear for just a minute because she needs to understand that I can be trusted. And so I counted to 10 and I let her be petrified. And then I went over and I said, hey, you know, it was like this big traumatic thing. And still, like I said, she thinks she's gonna be in therapy because of this one event. However, victory. Never again did her hand come off the cart. Never again. I think that's what Jesus was allowing in this moment, you know? Like he's allowing them to be absolutely terrified because then after his 10 count, whatever that was, he says these words, it is I. And in the Greek, that's actually I am. And you know, if you've ever even heard anything about your Bible, the significance of those two words. That's in Genesis, excuse me, in Exodus 3.14. That's where God himself in his God voice spoke to Moses from a burning bush and identified himself that way and said, I am. And so Jesus saying the same thing, don't be terrified, I am. You know, interestingly, 
We see Jesus use these words over and over. Fear not is actually the original translation we have. My, my version says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Over and over we see Jesus say these words in his ministry, in his earthly ministry. And often it's a time where he's revealing true nature in new ways. Do you know that? So like you're going to see fear not when he's calming storms. You're going to see fear not when they're about to walk on water, right? You're going to see fear not when he's raising the dead, when he's transfigured on a mountaintop. It's times when things just aren't right. And Jesus says, fear not. But you know what he doesn't say? This is what I've always just been fascinated by. I don't, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he ever says there's nothing to be afraid of. I don't, I don't think he does. I think instead he knows that there are things to be afraid of. Amen. That's why he says, fear not. That's why he says, I am. And so in this moment, I'm, I'm looking at this thinking, whoa, man, this is, this is huge, right? What a lesson. Um, he didn't change the circumstances. He told him not to be afraid. But here's where I think the story really gets started, in my opinion. When you go on to verse 28, this is where our Peter enters the scene, right? And Peter, precious Peter, darling little Peter, I just love him. And Peter answered him, Lord, I can just, okay, let's just stop for a minute and just imagine. Like, I'm thinking that the disciples are in the boat and they're probably all like seasick and huddled and like, oh my gosh, this is crazy and we're terrified and there's a ghost and all the things. And then Peter jumps up in his Peter way. Like he is just, anybody, okay, side note. If you follow the Enneagram personality test, don't be weird. It's just a personality test. It's nothing to base your life on. But guys, who, whoever knows about Enneagram, Peter is a seven, amen? He is energetic and excited and ready to like jump out of airplanes. That's Peter. So I just imagine them on this boat and I imagine Peter just jumping up and being like, hey, hey Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. That's Peter. And I can just imagine, I bet Jesus is like, all right, here we go. Let's do this. And so Jesus says one word, he says, come. And so our dear little Peter gets out of the boat and he walked on water and he came to Jesus. What if the story ended right there? Cool story, right? Wow, the end. But see, for me, I kind of feel like the story begins in verse 30. Verse 30 goes like this, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, there's the word again, immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Okay, the story started in verse 30 when he sank. I love that because in the middle of this miracle, we see doubt creep in. Anyone? When I think about my kid, you know, the broken one three years ago, there were so many things going on. I, I, we could not go through all of them. But if you were with us during that time, you know that there was a million balls up in the air that we were trying to manage. And yet God was working these miracles in the midst of these, these crazy times. But often, often, I'm confessing to you, often I doubted. How can you let this happen? He loves his college. God, why is he having to come home? Three surgeries, really three surgeries. And I feel over and over like, um, that's why I love this part of the story, right? Because Peter is me, Peter is you. We doubt, don't we? We doubt. 
and I'm going to tell you right now, I feel like we need to all hear this today, that doubting is not the opposite of faith, guys. I believe that while he's saying, you know, why did you doubt? You have little faith. I feel like the doubt might just might be the thing that enriched his faith as he moved forward. What do you think? Because in the doubt, the faith is tested, right? In the doubt, the faith is tested. Well, the wind challenged his faith. What is the wind that's challenging your faith? I know for me, sometimes it's hard to identify. Sometimes I have to ask him, Lord, what is the problem here? And often, you know, the big finger is pointing right at me. I'm the problem because I'm doubting whatever it is. I'm looking at the wind and then the waves to be my security. I'm putting my faith in things that are not secure and not unchanging. We forget the miracles, but we hang on to the struggles. We hang on to the suffering. Maybe this story is not about walking, but it's about sinking. I think so. I love that Jesus immediately reaches out. Did you love that? Like immediately, so you know this, he's really close. And he's, he's just hiding behind the produce. Let's all just picture that for a minute, shall we? Jesus hiding behind. Every time you go to Target, if I see you there, y'all are going to be laughing. I know you are. But I think that's the way it went, you know? I think that Jesus was just letting him, just letting him sink letting him be afraid so that he called out to him. Well, the cool part is um, the wind didn't, didn't stop until he reached out, until he asked for help, until Jesus pulled him in the boat. Then the wind stops, then they, they worship. I love it. Sometimes we can't see or feel him in the middle of the struggle, but we can know he's there and he has a purpose in it, even in the sinking Peter needed to sink to know who the Savior truly was, right? It was less about being excited and being in just this spiritual moment, right? It was more about trusting a Savior and keeping his eyes on what never changes, the sinking. I think also an important um, snapshot in Peter's life is for us to take a look at the denying the moment when he was denying, you know, I feel like poor Peter. Peter has, he wears the badge of, yeah, I'm the dude, the three, the roaster, rooster, crow guy. Like, I'm that guy. Everybody knows that story. If you've never opened your Bible, you're like, oh, that's that guy. Can you imagine? Like later when we get into Acts and Peter is standing up and giving the sermon of all sermons, is there anybody in the crowd going, this guy? The guy that jumped out of the boat? The guy that cuts off ears? The guy that denied Jesus at a campfire, this guy, this guy. I love that. I love that God chooses these moments to ready Peter more than the successful moments. And so that's why I felt like we need to look at it. So let's take a look at the denying. You can flip over to Luke 22. That's where we're going to be um, for most of this. Luke 22. Now it's important to start with the foretelling though. Okay. So I'll do that. Y'all don't have to flip over there, but remember in John 13, um, I think y'all read it last week. Uh, yeah, you did. You read it last week. We, we talk about how, how Jesus says, you're going to mess up, doesn't he? That's what he says in, in, in Chris' version. In, in the ESV version, it goes like this. In John um, 13, 36 through 38, it goes like this, just to remind you of what went down. Simon Peter said to him, to Jesus, Lord... Where are you going? And this is right after, um, this was right after, oh guys, this was right after the Last Supper. So you know what happened? I mean, so, so Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. That's a whole thing. He washed the feet of, of the denier, Peter. He washed the feet of the deceiver, of the one who was gonna turn him in, Judas. He washed all the feet. 
They just got done um, going through all that. They just got done hearing that the way is, is coming, that they're going to have to love each other to show the world who Jesus was. So it's a lot of responsibility, right? They just got told that there's someone that's going to betray him and that he's going to go to the cross. They just got told that he's going somewhere that they can't follow him to. So heavy, big, big stuff just happened. And then Peter, isn't that how it goes? And then Peter, and then Peter says this, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Do you love Peter? Like Peter's like all the things, you know, like everybody in the room is like, here he goes again. He's just so hyper. I will, I will lay down my life for you, Peter says. And then Jesus answers him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, God, this must have hurt. The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You know what I hear right there? I hear, you're not ready. You're not ready. And we know from what you guys covered last week in the discussion portion in the Luke version that Jesus even says to him, he predicts how he's going to die, and he says, I'll do what for you? What did he say he was going to do for Peter? But I've prayed for you. I love our Savior, right? Like, he knows what Peter's about to do. He washed his feet. Peter's got wet feet, and he's about to go and deny that he knows the Lord. And Jesus loves him just the same. Nothing's changed. Well, so he predicts this, right? Peter was real quick to speak. Jesus was real quick to remind him that you're not ready yet. And so then we move into the actual account of what happened And that's in Luke 22. And this is where we see Luke 22, verses 54 through 60, something or other, 54 through 62. And we see exactly what happens. Now, remember, as we're, as we're doing this, like we, we just saw, like a minute ago, Jesus was up praying on the Mount of Olives. Then he was taken in and betrayed and he was arrested. And so there's chaos. I imagine chaos. I don't know what, what it was really like because I didn't really, I don't know. But I just imagine that there was just like people are freaking out because at this point, there's a lot of followers of Jesus and people are paying attention and he's a threat. Okay. And so in my mind, I'm imagining how this looked, you know, that it, that it was kind of crazy and it was nighttime. And, and so this is what we learn um, from Luke. We learn this in verse 54. Then they seized him, Jesus, and they led him away and bringing him into the high priest's house. And I, I never noticed this detail. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, so I'm imagining these, these frazzled, scared, every, it's like chaos, and there's this fire in the middle, and they're all huddled around, and, and I, I just can see our hyper, crazy, awesome, energetic, enthusiastic Peter, right? Like, he's like, now what, you know? And so he's huddled around this fire, and Peter sat down among them, and then a servant girl seeing him, seeing Peter... I'm sorry, I lost my train. I lost my thing. Okay. Okay. So then a servant girl seeing him as he sat down in the light, looked closely at him and said, this man also was with him. And what does Peter do? But he denied. And he said, woman, I do not know him. And then a little later, someone else saw him and said, yeah, you, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And then in verse 59, after an interval of about an hour, so we're stretching this out a little bit, right, Peter's just kind of stretching out these denials. And after about an hour, 
Still another person insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him too. He is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, there's the word. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You know the story, but have you thought about hours he sat there between the denials? Hours. What was he thinking? Was he just afraid? Was he looking at the wind and the waves, the people, the running, the fire? What was he doing? Because we know what he wasn't looking at, right? Because it wasn't until he looked Jesus in the eye that he realized what happened, right? Aren't we the same? He was following at a distance. There was a campfire. There was three denials. Jesus laid eyes on him. Then Peter remembered, and then he left, and he went out weeping. I think to myself, how many times? What if the story ended there? Peter went out weeping, and that's the end of Peter. That he just slinked out in his failure, and he never let the Lord redeem it and restore it. What if that was the end? I don't know where you sit, but I don't want that to be the end of my story because I will tell you what, there are gonna be times when I sink, there are gonna be times when I deny, I don't wanna say that, but there are going to be those times and I don't wanna be the one that, that, that slinks out and weeps bitterly and then just never, ever, ever lets him redeem it, never lets him restore me. I want the miracle, not just the scars, you know? I think about that story, you know, in the, um, somewhere in the New Testament, I can't remember, about the rich young ruler that Jesus meets. You know the story where he comes to him and he's like, got all, is like holding his stuff like this. Anybody? Yeah, we do it sometimes, don't we? He's holding his stuff. And he comes to Jesus, he's like, I am so good and I love you and I'm following you and I want to praise you and I want to bring people to you. And Jesus says what? Then let go of all the stuff. And what does the rich young ruler do? He slinks away. And that's the end of the story. That's the end of that guy's story. What if Peter, what if this was the end? It's not the end. It's just another moment that Jesus is readying him for what's coming. I've never looked at it like that before. I've always looked at it like, Peter, come on, man. He like told you in literal words, there's a rooster, there's three denials. Like in the second denial, did he not go, hey, this seems familiar. I don't know, but I feel like Jesus does the same for me. I'm not listening either because my eyes are not focused on him. Um, Peter needed the failure to strengthen his faith for the future. Jesus knew. He knew about our failures too. You know, he knew Peter was going to fail, but he knows ours too. He knows your failure before you do it, and he loves you the same before, during, and after. He loved Peter the same when he was jumping out of boats and cutting off ears. The same. I don't know, maybe he's using your, your um, denial, your, your sinking. Maybe he's using that to strengthen your faith right now. I don't know. I suspect that he is because that seems to be how he works. Well, 
You can't finish the story here because there was a restoration that was coming. And it's like my favorite part of this whole Peter thing, right? The restoration that comes in John 21, we see Jesus coming full full circle with our Peter. You know, where we're going to join him here is where he's already been crucified. And what happens is in the post-resurrection, there's like all these appearances that Jesus makes personally to people. And there's like, um, I, I counted, I went, did some research. I think there's like 14 very specific times that he appears in his post-resurrection form, right? Like the doubting Thomas touching his scars kind of Jesus, okay? So that's who we have here. This is the seventh occurrence, actually. This is where um, he's going to appear to just seven of the disciples. I'm not sure why, and you guys might know. I didn't go back and read that much. But I know that there were seven of them here, and, and that's very specific in chapter 21. And so we know that not everybody was present, but the seven that Jesus needed to be there were there. Amen? So he appears to the seven. Whoops. What just happened right before that, was, this is important. What just happened was, um, so do you remember the miracle catch? Remember when Jesus says, no, throw your, they go back. Okay. So they're all scared. Everybody's freaked out. Jesus is gone. They don't know what's coming. And and then all of a sudden he, he, they all kind of go back to what they used to do. You know, the four of them, we know for sure were, were fishermen. So you have Andrew and you have James and John and Peter, and they just kind of go back. And they're fishing and they're not being successful. And do you remember what happened? That's when Jesus appears and, and he says, throw the, 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 the net over the right side. And they pull it in and they can't keep it. And all the things. Okay, so this amazing thing has just happened. So they're like kind of in the emotion of all of that. Well, then we also see that just right before that, it seems important that you know this, that, that, that Peter turns into Forrest Gump for, for a quick hot minute because he sees Jesus and once he figures it out, he's out on his boat, right? And what does he do? He leaps over the side. Are you picturing that in the Forrest Gump movie, right? Go back and watch it. It's really Peter. And he jumps over the boat. He's so excited. And he's trying to get to Jesus. And so when we approach this moment, I, I'm trying to remember that because I'm remembering we got Peter soaking wet. He's dripping, you know? He's excited. And then we enter the scene. Just before um, we actually see Jesus and Peter having their interaction, we see that Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? And and, um, they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And so, so he did with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples specifically. Now, what's cool about that is Jesus had just started a fire and he's going to feed them and Peter's soaking wet. Okay, so remember all that as you hear these words. Verse 15 in chapter 21 goes like this. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I just imagine Peter like, come on, are we doing this again? Like the the patience is, is lacking, right, with Peter. Same, same. He says, um, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. In verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times. 
How many times did he deny Jesus? Three times. And how many times does Jesus restore him and give him purpose? Three times. I love, I love our God of details. Do you love our God of details? Like, don't lose, don't miss that. Because this God is the same God that is right in the middle of our storms right now too, right? Like, he's the same one. Peter, soaking wet, sitting around a campfire, eating breakfast prepared by Jesus. I love our Jesus knows our physical needs and he values them. Do you, do you get that? He's like, warm up, fill up. Now let's get real, Right? A lot can be solved by, by warming up and filling up, right? Well, in the beginning of that, and you're going to cover it a little bit in your discussion time, there's a question uh, about when he says, do you love me more? And, and, or, or do you um, more than these? That term, more than these, what can that mean? And there's three different things that scholars believe, and let me just give you a little spoiler. Nobody knows really what he meant by that. It could have meant, um, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? It could have meant, do you love me more than you love provisions that I'm giving you? Do you love me more than I love the breakfast or fishing or your job? It could have meant, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And we don't know, but I love that, um, that we were left with a little bit of mystery there. So don't get hung up on it, but just know that that conversation was meaningful to Peter and Jesus. And, and maybe that was something that was meaningful to them alone. I, I, I hope that, you, uh, that you, you pay attention to hear what, what we've now seen Jesus transition into asking of Peter. Not asking of Peter. Yeah, asking. He asked him. He asks him to feed sheep. What did he ask him or tell him when he first called him? Do you remember? To be fishers of men, right? So now we're fishermen, but we're also shepherds, sheep, sheep feeders. Uh, this is interesting. If you really stop and think about it for just a minute, the fishers of men, the idea behind that is evangelism, meaning I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And, and honestly, that's what Jesus did in that moment. Remember, he went fishing for men and he got himself some disciples. Evangelism, that, that would be with the fishers of men. But here's what's cool about the sheep feeding. The last words, these words, this last command, essentially that Jesus is gonna give to Peter before he goes on and does this ministry for years and years, is he's telling him to feed the sheep. You know what he's telling him to do? You pastor, you care for those sheep. You don't just bring them into the, to the net and then are like, good luck, goodbye, you got your golden ticket, you're going to heaven, I'll see you later. No way, man. He's telling Peter, your job just got exponentially harder because I'm calling you to care for the flock. There's evangelism, tell people about Jesus, and then there's walking alongside them. And that's what Peter is being called to do by Jesus in this moment. I think this, this is just me thinking this, I think this, he was not ready until now. He wasn't ready, was he? I mean, Jesus himself said when Peter's like all excited, like, I'm going with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm and Jesus is like, mm -mm, not yet. When he's trying to walk on water, right? He's like, I'm coming to you. And it's almost like Jesus is like, I'm going to let him sink. I'm going to hide behind the apples. He's not ready yet. But in this moment, he's ready. The good shepherd himself in John 10, 11, he calls himself that, and the good shepherd does what for his sheep? He lays down his life. And the good shepherd is calling Peter to feed his sheep, the ones he just died for. That's cool. That's huge. He wasn't ready. Now he is. 
Well, denying, restoring, sinking, walking, all the things, right? Like Peter's life is huge and we barely just touched the surface of it. But so is yours, so is mine. The moments, the sinking moments, you know? The sinking moments that we feel like, ah, oh, if I only would have walked a little farther, what a cool story. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, the story began with the sinking. I think, I think as, we, as we finish, I really believe this, that there's, there's three things that kind of kept coming up for me that I felt like if Peter were standing right here and being his energetic, hyperactive, jump out of airplanes, Peter, I think he would say, yes, 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 this is what you need to understand about my story, about the walking and the sinking and the denying and the restoring. You need to understand this. Because for me, I feel like Jesus was telling me, Chris, you need to hear me on this. And so I'm just going to tell you what he told me. Three things. And then we'll go and talk about our awesome Peter in our small group. The first is this. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you. He chose me. He chose you. Don't ever, ever question that. He's not a God of accidents. Accidents. He's not a God of coincidences. He's not a God of karma or chaos or any of those things. He is a God who knows exactly what he's doing, exactly every moment. Most of the time, we don't. Amen? And so we call it things, and we cheapen what he's got planned for us. But he chose you, you know? There's a reason you're reading this. There's a reason you're opening his word. Don't miss it. He has purpose for you, even in the sinking, even in the denying Ephesians, um, Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. Just jot it down and read it later. But I want to read this to you, and I want you to hear your name. I want you to hear that this is written to you, to me. Paul says this in Ephesians 1. Even before he made the world, God loved you. And he chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt you into his own family by bringing you to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So you praise God for the glorious grace that he's poured out on you who belong to his dear son. You know, I've heard, I heard this quote one time and I, I wrote it in my notes that it was anonymous, but if you know who said it, come tell me because we'll just say anonymous because I can't remember. That's really the truth of it. I love, but I love this vision and it reminded me of our story today. It's this, that, that Jesus has tethered himself to you tighter than you could ever tether yourself to him. Jesus has tethered himself to you tighter than you could ever possibly tether yourself to him. He's like a life ring. You know, he's like right there. It's almost as if you're trying to walk on water and you're sinking and he's like, whoop, gotcha, right? There's security in knowing that he chose to tether himself to you. Well, the second thing I think that um, we can gain from understanding Peter in his life and his failures and his successes is this, that, that we are never, you are never, hear me, you are never a lost cause. You're never a lost cause. We're studying the king of who could have been the lost causes, right? But you're never, never a lost cause. I love the idea that um, Jesus alone is going to make you ready for whatever he has planned, you know? 
So, so think back, would you, for a moment with me, when he said the fishers of men thing, do you, do you realize the thing that he did not say? He did not say, you will be fishers of men. He did not say, I'm asking you to be fishers of men. You know what he said? He said, I am making you fishers of men. You see, the making is, is his job. We're the followers. And so we need to, to know that no matter what, no matter what you have done, you are doing or you will do, you are not a lost cause. He can ready you. He can ready you. We just got to trust him. We got to trust him in the readying process. And sometimes that involves, you know, gnarly scars. Amen. Things that seem unredeemable. The third thing I feel like we need to understand from Peter and his life is that you are loved no matter what. You are loved no matter what. No matter how you feel. No matter what people tell you. No matter how life has gone for you. You're loved. It's a fact. You can't deny it. You can't, go, you can't run from it. You can, you can argue with me about it. But it is a true fact. It is a true fact. The love of God is not determined by whether you're good or bad. It's not determined by your past or your now or your future. It's not determined by whether or not you deny him three times or don't. It's not determined by whether or not you try to walk on water and you stink, sink like a stone and maybe stink too when you get out of the water. I don't know. It's not determined by how many times you go to church, by how many questions you answer at Bible study, by how many verses you have memorized. It's not determined by how godly you sound on social media or not. God's love is not determined by whether you feel jealous, angry, sad, suicidal, fake, or fearful. None of it changes him. It's only because of his grace, and it's only because of him. It's only because of him. Peter, our Peter, Peter, precious Peter, only because of Jesus Christ was Peter restored and redeemed. Only Jesus had nothing to do with what Peter did. He loved him the same at the beginning as he does at the end. Same for us. Your love no matter what. Recently, this week, you guys know me. I, I, songs, you know, like a music gets stuck in my head. And this week, the one that got stuck in my head was this new song by Judah Akers. And it's the best. I love it so much. I had it blaring all the way in here. I'm sorry, I was rolling in a little late. I might have gone a little fast in the parking lot. So God forgives me because he loves me no matter what, right? Right, okay. Well, anyway, I was listening to the song. And these words, I was like, oh, I got to tell them. Because this is, this is what I think he wants us to know today. The song is called Just Because, and I want you to hear these words, and I just want, I just pray. I just pray that you feel them as a love letter, you know? A love letter from a Savior who came to save you, who came to ready you, who came to lift you out of the water, walk alongside you. The lyrics go like this. You are his favorite. You are his friend. No weapon against you ever stands a chance. Not heaven or hell nor darkness or light will ever deny you of his wonderful smile. So I won't be silent and it's too good to be true. He just loves you because he loves you because he loves you just because he does. Straight out of Romans. Has nothing to do with what you do or what you don't do or what you have done or what you haven't done. It's all because of him. Peter's life shows us. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Following Jesus isn't always walking on water. Sometimes it's sinking, right? Sometimes you sink, sometimes you fail, but every single time he's there. Will you just trust that? I'm gonna pray for us and then y'all are gonna get to go and hang out with your best friends, so let me pray. Father, um, you love us. You love us no matter what. I, I love the story of Peter, all these different moments in his life. I wish we could talk about every single one of them, but God, I pray that no matter what it is that we walk out of here remembering, that we remember above all that the same God of Peter is the same God of now, of us, of our lives, of our storms, of our circumstances. God, we have these snapshots and we can't let them go sometimes because we don't see you. We see the scars and the broken things and instead I, I beg for you to show us the miracle of it all. Maybe the miracle is now. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the readying. This is the moment, the restoration. I don't know. But Father, I pray that each person in this room, each person watching or listening online can understand that you are right there, immediately ready to reach out and save. Thank you. Thank you that you sent your son, and it's in his name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.